and welcome back to Folk Music Notebook. I'm Ron Alesco, and you may have been hearing an ad that we've been running on our, our channel for a brand new book from singer, songwriter, author, oh gosh, she does everything, Jane Fallon. And uh, the, the book is called The Girls Go to Montreal. It's a musical ghost story. And we just happen to have Jane Fallon with us today. Jane, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Ryan? I'm doing very well, thank you. Um, well, first of all, congratulations on this book. This is your, your really your, your third book, am I correct? Yes. I know there was a book on songwriting that you did a few years back. Yeah. And, and this is subtitled A Musical Ghost Story, and it is certainly about songwriting. You incorporate a number of your songs in this book. Uh, you also have links to uh, a, a page where list, uh, readers can can listen to the songs as well. Let, let's let's get back to the, well. First of all, could you give us a little synopsis of what this book is about? The book is a fiction, a mystery story genre fiction, um, a, and a bit of a ghost story. But I think mostly mystery and a lot of psychology. Yes, it incorporates history and research. And it basically tells the story of a woman who goes back to a place she used to live and is haunted and figures out who she's being haunted by and why. And this ghost appears slowly giving her clues via songs that she transcribes and goes back to the lyrics in order to find out the end of this whole story, what the girl is trying to tell her and bring resolution for both of them. Mm -hmm. It was a very in interesting uh, story. Uh, it begins with this woman, and her name is uh, Linda uh, Harner Metzner, and her husband had just recently passed away. Yes. Uh, and it, it, she went back to the home where they first lived together. And I found that interesting. You know, I, I, I guess it was part of the grief process. Is there, is there any basis in real, in, in real stories to you? And the, how did you come up with this concept? You know, I'm not really sure. Creativity is an, is an amazing thing for me. My mind works very strangely. Uh, one thing builds on another. And I think that I was trying to figure out how this ghost would be. And to me, being living in New England, and you probably noticed it, it spans the country because I grew up in the Pacific Northwest and I've been living in New England, you know, 35 years. So I know both sides. And But I thought, what a better place for a ghost to haunt than an old New England house. <laughs> and uh, having taught for years on the college level, I made her a college professor. It just all started to come together. She went back, yes, as a, a degree process. Did no longer, they both had retired. She wanted to go back to where it all started, where she spent the happiest time of her life with her husband. And it seemed to make sense to me that mm -hmm. some people would do that rather than try to run away. If the relationship was good and their memories are great, you want to go back to those memories. That's a good point. And it's a book that also spans so many decades. It starts out um, when she was much younger. She met her husband, who was a professor where she was, uh, the school she was at. And it kind of goes back and forth in time to different events in, in their lives. Um, and, and the music. Uh, obviously, uh, I do a folk music show, and this is a folk music channel. <laughs> I asked you to look at this book. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, I, I found it very intriguing because, you know, the, the, the character of the ghost is sort of a, I guess, a songwriter out of the 1970s, I believe. Yeah, would be uh, 70s, yeah. Uh, is, is what... Why was that era chosen as, as this? I mean, because songwriters have been around forever and they're still continuing. What, what, what brought on that specific period? Was that because that's where their story begins? 
I suppose it's because I, when I first started conceiving this, I wanted to write the book with music. I immediately thought I might call it Leaving Woodstock. I just thought, I just was thinking, and then I thought that's too, you know, mundane and been done. Um, and probably because this is my era. I'm sure that's because it's my era. Uh, because I know this and because I was a burgeoning singer-songwriter in the 70s. And I did all of these things. And having been a college professor and having seen these things happen, it, you, we always often draw from personal things. Of course, we like to take them beyond the personal. Uh, but start with what we know is what every writer's always told. And I suppose it's just the knee-jerk reaction to start with what you know and build from there. And boy, it went back and forth a lot as this plot started to concoct itself. And I did research and I uh, figured out timing. And I didn't use as much as I thought I was going to of the war on Woodstock. I thought that would figure more. And that just didn't matter after a while. It's part of what happened. Um, in that era, and it gave, uh, I think, a sense of color to what's happening, but it wasn't instrumentally necessary to, to the storyline per se. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure that's why, because I know, it's what I know, you know? Sure, sure, write about what you know, and, that, and it works. Uh, I, I was, you know, the very first uh, couple of chapters where she goes back to the house, and I believe it was the first night where she hears this ghost, I guess, singing this, this song. Um, and you, you write the lyrics in the book and obviously when you read a lyric, you, you're reading the poetry, but you've incorporated uh, a link for all of the readers to, to hear the songs. And I think I'd like to play that very first song. It's called Out of Nowhere. Would you, would you like to set it up a little bit further for me? Uh, well, I decided to get right into the music as soon as possible. I didn't set up too much of her moving back. I got her settled in. And um, that may have, I think it may have been the first song I wrote, and it came pretty fast, and it was meant just to set up the whole thing. A song comes out of nowhere in many ways, in this case, literally. Um, and uh, it, it, certain words in there are supposed to set up what's happening. It will linger in your mind. It's talking to your future about the past you left behind. Uh, when the song comes out of nowhere, it will haunt you like a ghost and it will set on fire the things that you love most. You'll hear all this in the song, but it's mainly there to set up, even if the reader doesn't know it yet, what this whole book's going to be about. When a song comes out of nowhere and lingers in your mind, it's talking to the future about the past you left behind And sometimes it will seem like it isn't very clear When a song comes out of nowhere You have brought a key and it has turned the lock but remember that real time doesn't live inside a clock Just believe your eyes Don't question what you hear When a song comes out of nowhere Out of nowhere like the wind Out of nowhere like a cloud Just a simple feeling taking flight from nowhere When a song comes out of nowhere It'll haunt you like a ghost And it will make you question The things you love the most 
It will set on fire Much that you hold dear When a song comes out of nowhere In the grass down by the river Is a secret all alone On a path that no one travels Buried neath a stone You can uncover truth By facing all your fears When a song comes out of nowhere When a song comes out of nowhere When a song comes out of nowhere And that was Jane Fallon, a song called Out of Nowhere song that features uh, as the very first song in this book called The Girls Go to Montreal, a musical ghost story that Jane has written. And we're talking with Jane today about this book. Uh, we're not going to give away the whole plot because obviously we want people to read the book. <laughs> but, but it is a, a bit of a journey, uh, you know, I guess learning from the past about how we relate to the present. And I, I found it very intriguing. Now, now the songs, did you write the songs based on the plot as you were doing this? Or did you come up with the songs first? How did, how did this work as a, as a writer? I had a storyboard first. I think I had one song, perhaps like the, the first one. And I had a storyboard. So I had written an outline of what the story, what I needed. And in that storyboard, I put a song could work here need a song here. And so I had an idea of where the song should go uh, that I helped with, I hope would promote the plot. She need, I wasn't one for every chapter or anything like that. It was Some of the songs I milked for a while and some of them I used as a resolution. One night was just a resolution of something she'd already come to con, uh, been convinced of but then needed resolution on. And most of them though, and then the ending song was a closure. They all had different purpose. I knew what the purpose was ahead of time. I mean, mm -hmm. you mentioned my songwriting book. It's called Songwriting on Purpose. And I do do that well. I do know I have a reason for writing a song, and I know the techniques to use it. So when I had the storyboard done, I still kind of was got to a standstill. And um, I, I don't know if you know a fellow named Timmy Reardon in Boston. He mm -hmm. does Fearless Songwriting Week on uh, Facebook. And people can sign up and, and write a song a day for seven days. And he had one going. And I said, oh, Timmy, I can't possibly do this because I'm in the middle of this book and I've got to write songs for this. They won't go with the prompts. He says, Jane, you might be surprised. And Ron, let me tell you, I used five of those prompts to write five songs that went with my book. And uh -huh. what that allowed me to do was start it a different way changed you know, something. It really led me into the creative process. I still wrote the song I wanted to write but it gave me a kick in the pants. It's amazing how that worked. Yeah. So I had, but I had to storyboard at first. I had to know where the songs were going to go. And uh, the ideas had to be there. I didn't write a song and then change the book to go around it or anything. Okay. Uh, that's, it's fascinating. And, and the whole process, and I, I know your, your previous works, uh, you wrote a book called Beyond Reason, Songwriting on Purpose, and also Seven Songs in Seven Days, The Journey of an Arkansas Traveler. Uh, about... <laughs> Have you seen that one, Rand? Did I give that, give that to you? I don't think I ever did bring that. No, that one I haven't seen. I, I do have Beyond Reason. And yeah. uh, again, the process fascinates me. I, I, I'm not a songwriter by any means, but <laughs> getting into the head of a songwriter and for you to combine both the, that talent that you have for creating a song with writing a book, 
Um, it just fascinates me. It's, uh, it was, it's a fascinating, creativity is a fascinating thing. And who knows? <laughs> our minds are nebulous. It's amazing what, you, what can happen when you let them loose. Right. Um, I think storytelling, because I write storytelling songs, and I've done many of those, it, it may be easier for me than some people only write, maybe they write mostly for emotion or current events or whatever. I tell stories. I've written many story songs. Um, and I think that that whole thing meshes together for me. Uh, but it's the first time I've attempted fiction, Ron. Because mm -hmm. I've always been, my fiction has always been in songwriting. And I did the two nonfiction books. One's a bio, the first one's a biography of my dad and uh, his journey across the country during the Great Depression. And I wrote a song a day while he told me his stories. That was a different kind of feel. Uh, but those songs weren't about his stories. They were just anything. Any song that hit me that day. Uh, beyond reason, I had nine songs I had written at various times about illustrating my purposes. So they weren't written together. Never written a book on fiction. I had never written songs to go with the book. So this was the first for me to try to craft tunes that would go with a plot. And I was challenged to do that, knowing I could. It just hadn't hit me that I wanted to do it up to that point. So it was a lot of fun. I had a great time. <laughs> I can imagine. How long was the process from when you first had the concept to when you put the period at the end of that last sentence? I am trying to remember. It wasn't terribly long. A lot of it came really fast. And then I got to a, a plateau. And I think it probably was only about a year that I spent starting thinking about it and then putting in a little bit here and a little bit there and wandering around doing my, you know, traveling. Um, and where it kicked in is I went back to visit family in Portland, Oregon. And I decided to pick a town out there. And I saw Richfield, Washington is right up the road from Portland. I'll get in my car and I'll go start doing my research. And then these things start clicking. And I recommend to people, if you're using fictional places, do a real one. Find a real one. Richfield is real. Her hometown in Vermont, uh, Greenbrier, is based on Middlebury College, but it's not real. Richfield was. I sat in their park. I looked at things. I described those things in my book. And suddenly this all became real. And I actually got on the road, and I went the road that the, an event had happened on. And I, I traveled that road myself, and it made it really easier to get into it but then it zoomed along and then by the time I got all the songs done including the songs and everything getting it ready and editing was probably about a year total. Mm -hmm. And the title of the book is called The Girls from Montreal, The Girls Go to Montreal and you have a song about that. Could you, could you explain the title to our, our listeners and the song? Uh, well, I'd like to say we don't want to give away too much. Right, right. Um, Montreal of course in Canada right up the road from Vermont where this took place. And this was where the time period of the 60s does come in handy because it was a whole different culture for women during those days. And in the back in the day before Roe versus Wade, there was a huge connection between Middlebury College, which this is based on, and Montreal for abortions. And girls would go across to safe abortions done by a, 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 a ex-Holocaust survivor. Uh, who used to, who believed in human rights and wanted to, to see this done. And so that's sig signif significant in the plot. And so I chose the title because it had a poetic feeling about it. And secondly, because a lot of it revolves around women's issues in this very subtle way in this book and the changes between the 60s and the present day. So the girls go to Montreal. And when you listen to the song, I'm sure you'll understand the difference I'm making between what the boys do and what the girls do.
the sky fades into streaks of blue You can hear the shadows call The boys try out for the football team The girls go to Montreal There's someone there to welcome you He believes in health for all When they reach out he tries to help the girls Who come to Montreal Some girls get married and some girls risk it all In alleys dark and dangerous But some go to Montreal He survived the Nazi prison camps To Canada he came He was attacked and vilified People cursed his name The sky fades into streaks of blue And the evening shadows call The boys pledge their fraternities And the girls Go to Montreal Some girls get married And some girls risk it all In alleys dark and dangerous But some Go to Montreal Jane Fallon and a song called Girls Go to Montreal. Her book, The Girls Go to Montreal, has been released, and we are now talking with Jane about this uh, fascinating book. I mean, it's a combination of mystery, um, self-exploration, uh, songwriting, and uh, it's, it's a real journey through several characters' lives from the 1950s to the, to the current day. Uh, you, you mentioned before that you know you base some of this on experience that you've had, but are any of the characters based on any real people more so than others? To a certain extent, I guess I think because like Bob Frankie always said, it's all fiction, uh, and it is. Though we can't help but draw from personal experience. But I think for me, mostly it was a combination of the types, archetypes. You run into certain kinds of people, and they seem to repeat themselves over again. Um, I mean, I, yes, I had known professors who were a little too free with their hands and, <laughs> and they, you know, the whole um, hierarchy of students and I, I throw a couple of young men in there, uh, Pete and Pete. I knew a Pete and Pete in college and I put them in there. These are, these are um, adjuncts who were, you know, uh, teaching freshman classes and I, I stuck them in there because I, I remember Pete and Pete and um, there, there's a secretary um, of the English department and I knew a secretary who was indispensable and so I built on that this secretary in the, in the book is indispensable and she's incremental in helping uh, Linda figure stuff out and I knew a secretary like that at Southern New Hampshire University she's this Jackie she was always there then she to everybody and she was indispensable so things like that do I think that's pretty obvious that we do those things um, otherwise specifically Linda Harner is not me, um, and I certainly never had any, any, any ability to talk to spirits. And um, 
but the back and forth thing, of course, and the college environment back in the, and when I was in, in school and in grad school in the seventies, yeah, that's going to creep in a bit. And I, yeah, there's a little bit, of, there are some scenarios in there and things I grabbed a little bit um, from personal experience, but then of course you, you stretch them, but no one particularly sure. is based on anybody. <laughs> Good. So nobody can sue you or come back no, and say, well, I'd say that in the front of the book. Remember, you got to read the whole thing and resemblance is to people and places that are you know, right. Right. Uh, I, do, I do explain that Middlebury was the basis of Greenbrier in general and that Ridgefield was a real place, but only used in the fictional sense and things like that. Well, I, I think it's a, it's a book that a lot of our, our listeners will find very I don't know if enjoyable is the right word. I guess it is. Uh, enjoy I'm, I'm very good with that. In fact, I've heard it, it reads quickly. I've heard that people want to keep turning the pages, and I think yeah. that's the way it should be. My real, only, only real concern as a musician is that because I've got the words in there, and because that's sometimes all you need, they may not take the time to go click in all this stuff and go to the link, especially in the hard copy book where you have to type it all in. But in the Kindle book, you can press a link, and it'll get that song's going to come right up. So I encourage you. My next step, and I haven't had a chance, is the audio book, which I think the music will really have a big impact when people plug this into their car. And they're going to have to have, they're just going to listen to the song. And that's my next big step. Sure. Well, you know, even if you don't listen to the songs, the, the, the words flow off the page. It's just pure poetry. And uh, you can even put your own to it if you, <laughs> if you really you want it. Along, yeah. I do <laughs> hope people will listen to the music. Yes. Doug Portler and, and Kenny Seltzer helped me out with it to do it very quickly for me because I really wanted to take this to Montreal, to the Folk Alliance Conference. And I wanted to get it ready in time. And so they... Um, knuckled down and they got me some nice recordings that I thought suited what I wanted it to do. Uh, when I do the audiobook, I'll probably do it simply myself with a guitar and like the ghost would be doing it. But for, for the basis of a with listening audience, I thought something a little more arranged would be suitable and uh, help us all like the music better and, and, and tap our toes to it. Um, so yeah, I want people to listen to the music. I don't think it's necessary to release it as a separate recording, but I might. I might think that's a good promotional tool. And I'll make a video with the music as a promotional tool to get people interested in it. When they hear the music, they might want to go grab that book. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jane, it's it's fascinating. I, I hope our listeners will will find uh, reach out to you. Your your website is janefallon.com. and um, if they want to find the book, I assume it's on the website and. It, it, the, I, the links on the website and also just on Amazon.com. It's Jane Ross Fallon is my author name. I put my maiden name in there. Uh, and it's available right there on Amazon. And um, like I said, I'm going to, uh, with uh, hopefully this week, as soon as this uh, interview airs, have it ready for a 99-cent download for a limited time. People who want to give me a review would be awesome to get some uh, interest on, on Amazon to get kick this thing off. It's very helpful. Um, just the Kindle book, but the hardcover's there as well. Um, and anybody who buys the hardcover and, and clicks those links on um, SoundCloud can also download these. You can download them to your computer. Uh, no one, anybody can stream them, but only the people who buy the book can download them. Very nice. Very nice. Well, Jane, I want to thank you so much for talking to us today. And uh, congratulations on getting this book out there. I think it's uh, something all of our listeners would be enlightened by, enjoy, and uh, I think learn something about themselves by, by reading this book too, because it's, it's, it is. And, and, you know, some of the characters, I mean, it's, it's sometimes dangerous when you write about events like that, it could almost turn into a cliche, but they're not. These characters are very real and 
I think I, I think it's a page turner. <laughs> the, the, Thank you very much. <laughs> um, before we leave, I'd, I'd like to play one more song. And I think we ought to end with the song that is uh, the last one in, on your link. It's a, a song called New Again. Mm -hmm. Again, without giving away too much of the plot, you know, I, I don't want to spoil the ending for anybody here. But uh, it's very general, but it just shows that uh, resolution has happened, which is what this book is about, finding resolution and peace for many people at the end of this whole series of clues. Excellent. Well, Jane, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Good luck with the book. And uh, we look forward to more great music and more books from you, too. You're, oh, you, so. you, you've got all the bases covered now. I do. <laughs> Jane Fallon, thanks so much. Thank you, Ron, so much. You found the key, unlocked the past What came first is now the last It no longer seems like I have never been Thank you for making me feel like I'm new again The choices of my tender age rested heavy in my mind Although my body left, my spirit stayed behind And whispered through the hills until it grew old and thin Thank you for making me feel like I'm new again Those who live in memory can leave this world in peace I thought my chance to do that was gone But now I know that I can just move on You opened doors and read my heart Finished what I couldn't start Erased all my mistakes Buried all the sin Thank you for making me feel like I'm new again Thank you Because of you, I am new again. You have been listening to an interview with Jane Ross Fallon, author of the new book, The Girls Go to Montreal. Look up Jane Ross Fallon at Amazon and you'll find a copy. It'll be available on Kindle as well as a hard copy. And you can check Jane's website, janefallon.com, for information on her books and her music. Our thanks to Jane for spending some time with us today, and thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Ron Alesco, and this is the Folk Music Notebook. There is more great music coming up, folk music 24-7, at folkmusicnotebook.com.